0: Thank you, Matt. Um, I feel like the prodigal son this morning because uh, Sterling um, Campus is actually my home church. That might be a shock to some of you who've been coming for a while and you've never seen me before. Um, um, I gave my life to the Lord when I was 14 years old, 23 years ago, and um, I actually didn't choose this church. God chose this church for me. I grew up in a family that didn't go to church, and when I gave my life to the Lord, they didn't want to take me to church. And so what happened was I was playing cricket in my street the one day, and um, one of the boys I was playing cricket with said, Mark, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. He said, Did you, do you go to church? I said, no, I don't. Why? Well, my parents don't want me to go to church, and I can't. Well, there isn't a church close by that I can walk to. I can't drive yet, so I'm stuck. And he said, Well, why don't you come with me? And uh, I said, I, I don't actually think th- my parents are even going to go for that. But I asked them, and by God's grace, he, at first it was a no, but then they softened and it was a yes. And the church that he brought me to was Sterling. Uh, it was this big. Pastor John Basson was preaching over there. I sat about there. we've come a long way. And um, God has been so good to bring me to this church at a time where I wasn't in control of even attending church. And um, this morning, it's emotional for me to be here uh, and stand before you. And I have two goals um, this morning. My first goal is that if there's anyone sitting here who doesn't yet know Christ, hasn't yet put their trust in Him for their salvation, then I hope to persuade you this morning to do that. Um, And for those of you who have done that, my hope this morning is that I would be an encouragement to you um, in your walk with him. To take it seriously, to maybe put a little bit more effort in and to open your heart to him and what he wants to do. I really felt, Matt asked me, do you have a word this morning? I felt like God was saying, I want to awaken. I want to come and just awaken my people to the things of the Spirit, to the things I want to do. And I'm excited. I don't think that's something that's going to happen today necessarily, but I do think our future trajectory at this church, if God's going to come and do that, then we are blessed. And um, my prayer is that those of you that have been walking for a long time and maybe this race you're running, you're getting a bit tired and you slow down a little bit, that this morning there would be a boost for you in the Spirit. I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Um, It's verse 9. While you are turning there, just give you a bit of background to it, it's my, one of my favorite parables that Jesus is teaching on here. It's called the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I think the reason why I like this parable so much is because I can identify very uh, um, intimately with both characters in the story. Um, So, in verse 9, we'll just read it through um, once, and then we'll take it from there, verse by verse. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Father, this morning as we read your word, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just open our hearts to what you're going to say to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that there would be a responsive heart in the room this morning, ready to uh, hear from you and ready to be obedient to you. I thank you that your word never returns void. And so this morning, Lord, we're praying that you would do a work in this church. You would grow um, this church. You would call people to you in this church through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the reasons why I like this parable is... Parables are often mysterious and you often have to wonder why the purpose or what the purpose of the parable is and try and find it out. But in the very first verse, Jesus gives the reason why he's sharing uh, or the reason is given to us why he is sharing this parable. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. So Jesus perceived in his audience that there were people there who already felt that they were righteous. They had made it. And the, the place they were basing that on was something they had done. They were good enough in some way. And they were trusting in themselves. Um, and this led to them looking around at other people who they perceived as not being as good as them and treating them with contempt, kind of looking down upon them. And unfortunately, as I said at the start, I can relate to this. This is a self-righteousness that I fall into easily. I'll give you a couple of examples. Even on the way to church this morning, I saw someone running. And my thought is, why aren't you going to church? I'm on my way to church. Well done to me. You know, it's good to run. It's good to be fit. And maybe you should do that later. Maybe you should be going to church. And In that moment, in a very small way, but significant, I think, I am placing that person below me and giving myself a naughty badge because of something I'm doing. I went to church this morning. And we see Jesus brings in at this point the two main protagonists, the characters. One is a Pharisee, and the other is a tax collector. If you are not familiar with the story, um, I will take you into the minds of the audience. The moment Jesus says Pharisee, the audience heart would be of one of uh, awe. The Pharisees were looked up to. They were uh, spiritual leaders. Maybe the way you might look up to Matt Johnson or um, maybe some uh, great uh, theologian. They came into the room and people... Uh, looked up to them because of their knowledge of scripture, because of their spirituality. And so he would be the hero in the eyes of the audience. The tax collector is someone who is the enemy. He is working for the Roman government who are subduing the people of uh, Israel. They should not be there. They believe that the Messiah is coming to overthrow the Roman government and to establish the Davidic kingdom once again. In the time of David, Israel was number one. And they believed that the Messiah was going to come back and restore that kingdom where all the other nations submit to Israel once again. And here is this Roman kingdom, this pagan kingdom, who have invaded the territory, who have taken over. They are not godly. They are pagan. They are leading everyone in the wrong direction. And now these Jewish people, tax collectors, are working for the enemy. And they are taking money from God's people and giving it to the Roman government. And what's even worse is they often took more than they should have and padded their pockets. And it was known similar to how we might feel in South Africa, that the people in uh, leading us are not completely honest and we can't trust that everything we give to them is being used for the purposes it's meant to be used for. And so when Jesus opens with the Pharisee, he's the hero. And when Jesus brings in the tax collector, he's the enemy. People don't like the tax collector. So what happens? Well, the first thing... I want to draw your attention to is the two men came to the temple. As you have done this morning, you've come to church. That's what they are doing. There is no church yet. There is a temple. That's where people came to worship God, where they came to pray to God. And so both of these guys, whatever you may think of them, they are, at least not like that runner I saw this morning and I judged, um, they are coming to church. And The next thing where I can actually give them both credit for, it gives their motivation as well, because we can have a lot of motivations for being in the building this morning. The motivation, it says, um, that two men went up to the temple to pray. That's why they came. They wanted to pray. It's commendable. I must be honest, when I first started coming to church, I sat and we'd kind of grew quite quickly after I came. And suddenly I remember sitting over there and I came to church morning and evening, religiously. But my motivation was not to pray. There was a cute blonde girl. I always tried to hover around. Man, it was easy to come to church. And so both of these guys are doing better than me. Because they both came to pray. That's important to realize. Well, how does the Pharisee go about it? The Pharisee, the hero, says, stands by himself and prayed thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, okay, a thief. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. He thinks of himself as righteous because of the things that he is doing. And the, the way he is judging himself, there's a law, a standard, okay? I've got to meet that law, right? I imagine it like a high jump, right? So the law comes and says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, or do this, do this, do this. And these guys then go, right, if I don't do that, and I don't do that, and I don't do that, and I do that, do that, do that. If I meet all of the criteria, I jump over the bar, I've made it, I'm righteous. And that's where this feeling came of, of, yes, I'm trusting in myself and what I do. And this guy's not just clearing the, the, the bar, he's going further, because the law didn't say fast twice a week. It didn't say give over and above. I, I give off my salary. That's the easiest one I give off. I am going to make another confession. I'm terrible at giving off extras. Because it's my birthday, and at, on your birthday, the parents at Sterling Primary School where I teach, they're wonderful. They give you, you know, a bit of money to take your wife out for, for dinner. And that's why that's what I use it for. He is not doing that. He gets the money extra from the parents, and he goes, religiously, I'm gonna take tithes out of everything that I get, not just my salary. The audience is listening to this guy, and they're going, Wow. Man, this guy's not just a Pharisee, he's a good Pharisee. He is on point. But the tax collector, he's far away. The temple of God had um, different levels. So you had an outer court where um, kind of like the not so good people were. And then you had a, uh, the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, the inner courts, that's where the Jews were. And so that it was big. And he's standing far away. He doesn't feel like he belongs. When my dad gave his life to the Lord, um, he came into this church and he sat there in the family area. It wasn't a family area. He sat in the last chair closest to the door because he didn't feel like he belonged. He wanted to be in and out and get out of there. And that's what this uh, tax collector is doing. He kind of knows, man, I'm walking in here and these guys all know i am robbed them all. And I'm going to come and pray. They're all judging me. They all hate me. I'm going to be near the back. He would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. It would have been common to pray, looking up to heaven with your hands open for you. And the Muslim world, they still do that. That's how they pray. They also do the bowing down thing, but they, they, they pray standing, looking up with their hands open. He can't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. Sinner, and imagine the audience judging him. How can you say that? How can you live like you live and do what you do? And you have the audacity to enter into the temple and then ask God to forgive you. And then the mic drop, the bombshell moment where Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house. Justified. Justified means right with God. That is an amazing statement. Rather than the other. God accepts the tax collector, but he doesn't accept the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I've presented this story in a way, but I kind of misleaded you. This is not a story about a good guy and a bad guy, where the good guy's actually bad and the bad guy's actually good. It seems that way. This is a story of two sinners, where one knows he's a sinner and the other one doesn't. And this morning, my first thing I want you to get hold of is we are all sinners. If you think God is going to be impressed with your church attendance over someone else, like I attend church twice every Sunday and um, regularly, and I know this family member only comes at Christmas and Easter, so I'm ahead. God's not actually impressed with your efforts in church attendance because we see two men over here coming to temple, to church. It doesn't say how often they do that, and they might have done it often, yet one. Was and probably the one who came the most, not accepted. Well, I pray. So because I pray, I'm a good guy, and I'm not as bad as some other people I know. Um, Well, these guys both came to pray, and they both prayed, and one of them prayed longer than the other one, and, and one of them, the prayer was actually more impressive than the other one, but the one who prayed better, the way the world would judge it at least, didn't get accepted. So, I'm not sure you come to me and say, I pray regularly, I pray a long time with many words. I don't know how impressive that is to God. It can impress man. So, this morning, what are you putting your trust in? Is it the stuff you do? Because. We've got to be very careful. As I said, I'm one of these people. Man, I, I can tell you about how often i fasted. You shouldn't because you lose your reward when you do that. So you've got to kind of not tell people when you're fasting. But I could stand here and tell you I've fasted many times. At the, but at the same time, I know that in itself counts nothing. I can stand here and tell you i prayed many times. That in itself counts nothing. I can tell you I've come to church many times. That in itself counts nothing. Some of you might be in church for the first time. Your New Year's resolution might have been, I'm going to start going to church again. And you might be sitting here feeling like you're not as good as everyone else, and everyone else looks like they got it all together. And let me set you at ease. We are all sinners. Everyone in this room is in the same place. We're all messed up. We hide it quite well. You belong. You're welcome. Because we're all sinners, Romans tells us that uh, everyone has turned to their own way. No one is righteous, not even one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. That high jump analogy with the bar, the only reason you're clearing it, if you're depending on yourself, is because you're setting it, and you're setting it pretty low. You're going, I'm better than that person because I go to church more than them, uh, better than that person, I pray more than them. I'm better than that person. I drink less than them. Uh, I remember as a youth leader, I took young people out often, and I'd ask them questions like, "Are you a Christian?" Always wanted to double check it. I didn't just assume just because you're coming to the building, you're you're there. Um, and they go, "Yes, okay, good." Um, why why do you say you're a Christian? Oh, I go to church. Ooh, my heart would sink. Is that it? You just come to church? Is that why you're a Christian? Oh, yes, I pray. (laughs) Those things are good, but I need you to get to the the key part here. And how many young people in our church who came with their families, who thought they were Christians, didn't actually know how to get there? They thought attendance. They thought, I pray. Some of them said, you know, my friends all drink. I don't drink. Some of them said, I've got, and this was in high school, I've got friends, I know, they're sleeping around. I don't sleep around. Do you see what we're doing when we say that? What's the emphasis on? It's on me, and it's on what I do. We're trusting in our own righteousness. We're very much like the Pharisee. Well, let's turn our attention to the one who who got it right, the tax collector as evil as he is, whatever you might think about him, he does three things. There's only one line that he prays, but he actually does three significant things in that prayer. The first thing he does is he owns his sinfulness. He doesn't pretend he's okay. He doesn't think about all the stuff he's doing to separate him from someone else. He says to God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if you're going to get your life right with God this morning, the very first place you've got to get to is owning your sin, not justifying how you're better than other people. As a young boy, I try to be the best I could be. Try to be the best son. Try to be the best student at school. Try to impress everybody. Set sat there, arms folded, Finger on my mouth. I was the annoying kid, the one who never got into trouble, never did anything wrong. Man, I would write down in a book, my own book, all the times other people did stuff wrong. He spoke, and I would write the time and the date. I am shamefully self righteous from the very beginning. David says, I was sinful from birth. Didn't start off okay, and then you made a couple of wrong turns. From the very beginning, the downward trajectory was in place. The only reason we think babies maybe aren't sinful is because they can't yet speak. If they could speak, they would say a whole bunch of stuff to make sure you go, oh, okay. They can't yet walk to that thing and do that wrong thing. Everything in them wants to. I remember watching a two-year-old considering this. My Bible study teacher says to me, what happens first? Are you a sinner or do you sin? Which one happens first? And I thought... You must sin first, surely. You can't be labeled something before you've done it. That would be unfair. So I know I'm a sinner, but it's because I've done this, 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 and this. And he said, no, Mark, you were a sinner when you were born. And you do this, 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 and this because of who you are. I didn't believe him, so I went to scripture, try and find out what was going on there, found out he was right. But then I still wasn't sure, so I started looking around. Going, and This happened the one day. I remember watching this little girl. She must have been 18 months. And I thought, she's an angel. She's, you know, she's lovely. She's playing. She's smiling. How can anyone look at this uh, special little angel and say, they're a sinner? How can you know that? And then she walks over to mommy's pot plant. And she starts shredding it. And I come to her defense. I go, but she doesn't know. She doesn't know. You can't judge her for that. She's playing. Mommy comes, takes her by the hand, smacks her. That shocked me. Like, smack an 18-month-old, doesn't understand what they're doing. Okay. No. Brings her back to her toys. Drops her at her toys. Goes to the kitchen. I'm watching her closely. She's looking at her toys. She looks at the pot plant. She looks at the toys. She looks at the pot plant. She looks at mom. Mom's not looking. She gets up. I'm I'm starting to get swayed now, but I still want to defend her. Right? And she's walking over. I'm going, I think she knows it's wrong because she keeps looking over at mom to check that mom's not looking. And she walks over to the pot plant. And you know what sealed it for me? When she gets to the pot plant, just before she goes at it again, she turns. And she laughs. laughs. And she just shreds that thing to pieces. Man, and I've got a two-year-old. Uh, you know how old are they? <laughs> I've got a three-year-old and an 18-month-old. Guys, I love them. They're beautiful children. But once you're a parent, you know that that's true. We were born, we were sinful from birth. And so we have this problem now where we're trying to fix it. That's what the Pharisees trying to do. He's trying to fix it. God, have I done enough? Mark was trying to do that once upon a time. Have I done enough? Are you pleased? Are you happy? And every night I'd go to bed and think, have I done enough? Have I pleased you? And I had this feeling of it's not enough. And I would be distressed and disappointed and go back even harder the next day. Until the day I realized that the bar is impossible to reach. Jesus didn't just put it like middle. He made it. He actually says, we've gone through it in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. You need to be perfect like my heavenly father is perfect. Perfect. Like God. That's like taking your, I did this athletics thing with these 10-year-olds at Sterling. That's like taking the bar and putting it in the sky and going, go. And these guys, you must see, it's funny, they run, they, they, they run straight into the mat. They don't even jump. They don't even lift their feet off. That's, that's their ability level. Now you're setting it in the sky, and you're saying, get over that! It's impossible! What does the Pharise- what does the tax collector do? He acknowledges, God, I can't do it. I can't get there. I'm a sinner. The second thing he does is, He's repentant. You go, but where does it say that? It doesn't say that. It shows it. He beats his chest. He is physically distressed over who he is. And I worry sometimes, and I think I've made this mistake, sometimes we preach a gospel where we say, God loves you. Come, respond. And people go, yeah, I want heaven. And they come. And we you know, We celebrate. But I don't know if there's real repentance yet. I don't know if people really understand who they are. And I don't know if they're really sorry about that when they come to God. Because that needs to be there for the thing to have any longevity. Because you're just going to go back to living how you were. Because you didn't realize there was something wrong with it. So we need to acknowledge that we are sinners and we also need to repent. We need to, And repentance, you go, but I don't know if I can stop doing all of those things. And I, I want to make a distinction here. Repentance is not stopping all of those things. And there's going to be a few of you more experienced ones out there who are going to go, oh, oh. Repentance is an attitude change. Because any, any honest Christian here will tell you that after they got saved, they still sinned. So if it means you've got to get everything right perfectly after you've made this decision to turn away from your sin, you're not going to do that ever again. You're going to go this way and never get it wrong. Well, then I don't know if there's anyone in the room that still qualifies. But what does have to be there is this thing is wrong. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I turn my heart away from it. And I need God. You need to come and help me. That's the third thing he does. He places his trust in God. Will you come and help me? I want to live for you. And this is the gospel. Acknowledging that you're a sinner. Turning away from the way you've lived. And turning to God, to Jesus and saying, thank you. Because it doesn't show up in the story because the one telling the story hasn't yet done the action yet. But after he tells the story, Jesus will die on a cross. And the reason why he'll die on a cross is to pay for your and my sin. And he's asking you, will you trust in that? Stop trusting in, I come to church. Stop trusting in, I pray a lot. Stop trusting in, I don't drink so much. Stop trusting in, I'm not as bad as some of my other family members. Are you going to trust in... I came and I died for you. If you're going to trust in that, it's sufficient. Then this beautiful word happens. Justified. Man, and Christian, if you're sitting in this room this morning and you're justified and you've maybe forgotten where you were, I want to remind you this morning, the moment you place your trust in Jesus. The moment you turned and placed your trust in him for your salvation, it happened to me. I can remember it clearly. I was justified immediately. Not, okay, now you're on a probation period. You've got to get things right for a while now. Immediately. God looked at me and went, you, your sins are forgiven. And I'm do- not just taking away your sins like bringing you to a neutral position but I'm also going to give you my son's righteousness. The way I look at Jesus and the perfection I see in him and the righteousness I see in him, I am transferring that to you. I'm placing that on you. When God looks at me, this is an amazing thought for me. As sinful as I am, it's not past tense, I am still a sinner and I'm going to explain that in a second and now we need to, I'm going to tie it up there. But the way God looks at me, The way God looks at you, if you've placed your trust in him, you are justified, right with God. It's an outward declaration from the judge and the only judge that matters. You are right with me. I accept you. It's not an inward thing yet, but you go, but Mark, doesn't he leave the temple and he's justified, but he's still a tax collector, isn't he? Doesn't he still get some stuff wrong after that? I'm sure he did. I can be, I can give you the real life version. I was justified. I remember going home, feeling free in God, feeling like I was accepted by God and telling my mom, yeah, God's real and he loves me and he loves you. Well, that didn't go very well. Go to your room. You pray in your room. You worship in your room. You don't bring that, um, why do they say it? Happy Clappy, that was the term. Don't bring that Happy Clappy stuff into this house, in front of us, and embarrass us. that was the biggest mistake she ever made. That room, I'm sure, if you went in there now, you'd get a sense of the Holy Spirit there, because I went to that room, and I prayed for them. Over, and over, and over. God, will you come? But, I was still a sinner. I still messed up. But what happens is the Holy Spirit is living in me. The moment I place my trust in Jesus, I didn't feel it. I didn't see it happen. But I place my trust in Jesus. I said, Jesus, I believe you came. I am not going to live the way I've been living. I'm not going to trust in my own works anymore. And I'm going to trust in you that you're enough. I'm going to want to live for you. Help me. And the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit starts to direct me and guide me, and I mess up, but he's always there, and he's pulling me along, and he's fighting for me, and he's praying for me, and he's leading me, and he's guiding me, and the word is sanctify, making me more like Jesus. My arrow is heading upwards, and it does this, Mm, mm, but it's going up. Because he's making me more like Jesus. And I can say to you with some conviction this morning, I am a sinner. You can watch my life and you can find things and go, "But you and yes, I earn it 100%. But I am saved not because of my own works. I'm saved because of grace, by faith, in what Jesus did for me. And that's final. It's not something that can go awry now. We sang about that in the song. It said... It's assured. I'm going to be there at the end. And he's going to say it audibly. Justified. Because it's already happened. He doesn't undo what he does. But. Sanctification. That can do that. Why? Because we're still a part of that. Justified. God did all of it. Sanctification. I play a role. I, I can pray. Or I cannot pray. And the more I pray. The more. In line with the Holy Spirit, I am, and the more likely I am to get a boost. So that's why I was talking to some of you this morning, saying we need that because some of you are going, "Oh, Mark, I feel a bit stagnant, feel a little bit of a, in a stalling mode." And how do we get there? We get there through not continuing in an attitude of repentance. We need to be in a repentant attitude throughout our sanctification, continuously looking at our lives, checking, "Have I moved astray in somewhere?" Lord, I'm sorry. But when I hear someone say, oh, i try and confess, but I can't think of anything to confess. I get worried. Because the closer you get to God, the more aware I am of my sin. And actually, when I heard the TBN preacher say, I haven't sinned in seven years, what he actually meant was, I haven't been convicted of sin in seven years. Through the hardness of my own heart. But, I am continuously God's dealing with me. And a lot of that is, Mark, you need to get that right. I saw an elder the other day at church. He looked broken. And I went up to him and I said, man, are you okay? He said, God's dealing with me. And we both said, good, good. He's speaking to you. Michael Eaton says, when you don't hear God speak anymore, you're in a dangerous place. So even if he's speaking to you saying, get that thing right, and you might hear that this morning, that's the, the most beautiful thing that could happen to you this morning is to hear God say to you, come, sort it out, get it right. If I'm not praying, I'm going to plateau. If I'm not reading his word, I'm going to plateau. If I'm not hungry for more of his spirit, I'm going to plateau. This is a Baptist church, so I'm going to trade lightly. But we are not very good in our understanding of the Holy Spirit. We are not very good in our desire for more of the Holy Spirit. And that's a problem to our sanctification process because people that are filled with the Spirit are increasingly sanctified and fruitful and the fruits of the Spirit are evident in their life. But people who are uh, complacent in their walk with the Lord and quite happy with uh, whatever it is, then they kind of tread water. And I want to encourage you this morning, church. I'm going to close now. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm going to give time for two responses. The first response this morning is um, for someone who has not yet committed their life to Christ. You've come to church. Maybe you're just trying to check this thing out. Um, Maybe someone brought you here. Or maybe you've been coming for a long time and it just hasn't clicked. Maybe you've only been doing it to earn naughty badge brownie points. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity and I want to name the thing that's going to get in your way the most. It's in the final verse. It says, the one who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Your pride is the number one thing stopping you from coming to God saying, I need you. I can't do this on my own anymore. And you have an opportunity this morning. I would love to pray for you. But the wrestle that's going to be happening in your own heart right now is your pride's going to be telling you, don't. You're okay. Keep going. But if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, then at the same time, what I've said to you this morning will make sense. And there will be an opportunity now to respond and say, Lord, uh, want to stop trusting in myself and I want to place my trust solely and only in you. If there's anyone in the room that would like to do that, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand. I'm not going to make it last long. I'm going to give you a moment to consider. And if you're putting up your hand, I'm going to ask you to put it up high so I can see you. And you can put it down. Before I pray for you, the second group, equally important this morning. If you feel like your sanctification process has stalled, you know that you're saved, but somehow you know that your walk with the Lord is not what it should be or not what it could be. And maybe this morning something's just triggered in you to say, God, I want, I want a full, vibrant, abundant life with you. Thank you for justifying me. Thank you that I am saved. But I want this life to be everything it can be. If there's anyone in the room that would like prayer for that, you can put your hand up. I'll pray that the Holy Spirit will come and fill you. And that this year would be a year of amazing growth in the Lord. That scripture would just come alive to you again. That prayer times would just be so good with the Lord again. That there would be a boldness to preach, to speak, to witness, to tell friends, you know you should have told a long time ago, but you always find a way to make an excuse. Let this be the year that the Holy Spirit emboldens you. Father, this morning, you can put your hands down. This morning, there's two groups of people, you know them fully. To the group who are coming to you saying, Lord, I want to make my life right with you. Um, I want to pray, Lord, that right now, your Holy Spirit would come. As they've just been brave enough to put their hands up and say, God, uh, my life's not right with you. I've maybe been trusting in the wrong things. I want to turn from that and I want to trust in you. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, as they do that, that your Holy Spirit would um, confirm this is true. I pray that you'd help them to sincerely turn towards you and to trust you, that you are enough. Lord, we pray that you would justify them today, immediately. That when you look at them, you don't see their sins anymore. You see Jesus' righteousness because he died for them. I pray, Lord, that they would have boldness to tell someone that they've done this this morning and that they would have someone to encourage them and lead them in their walks with you. And Lord, to the other group, also a bold decision to lift your hand up and admit to being a bit stalled, a bit of regression maybe even. Lord, I just want to pray for an awakening from your spirit. I pray that um, you would fill them with your spirit again, that you would put meat on the bones. And just as you spoke to Ezekiel and said, these dry bones can live again, I pray, Lord, that there would be renewed love for you, a renewed hunger for you. I pray that there would be a renewed love for your word, a desire to spend time with you. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them great wisdom. We know this life is busy. We know that this thing's distracting us from you. And even today, they're going to have to make a decision to spend some time with you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give them the wisdom to choose well. I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill them and give them great boldness to speak about you. Lord, put people on their hearts who don't know you, friends who don't know you, family members who don't know you, work colleagues who don't know you. Lord, and as you put people on their hearts, I pray that you would move them to speak about you. Help them in that, Lord. Give them opportunities. May even those family members, colleagues, and friends approach them and say, God's been dealing with me. Can you help me? I pray, Lord, that there would be a, our attitude towards your spirit would be one of, I want more, always. We love you. We need you. Come, Holy Spirit, come into this place. Come into these hearts and set us on fire for you. I pray for a vibrant, alive relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church, for your graciousness. I was told to stop about 10 minutes ago. Um, but uh, I, I really think God's done something here this morning. And if you made a decision and you want to come and speak with me, I'm going to be up at the front. You are, I would encourage you to do that. Um, and if even if it's about your sanctification, maybe I said something that you just want to check or wasn't clear, please come up to the front. But otherwise, there is coffee at the back, and that's the end of the service. Thank you very much.